birdbath, Mike Miro named it. Um, we were all super hungover. <laughs> he, he was referring to like a hot tub, like sitting in a hot tub is when you're a hurt bird, just go sit in a hurt bird. I mean, I intentionally try to be vague. We know. Oh, we because, know. Uh, <laughs> slowly arriving, but never on time. Miro, when we started, when I was seeing it in front of everybody, he was like, is that about me? <laughs> and anytime I can get anyone to think that, it means I'm doing it right. Because I think the goal is to try and make everybody feel included or uh, more invested because you're going to re-listen to it. But lyrically, the I'm not really talking to anybody in spe- specific. It's more like... Uh, this commentary on uh, how everyone should be. If they all thought like I did, it would be a better place. Hello and welcome to the launch, the long-awaited launch of the Humphreys Wow Show. Wow. Wow. My name is Rob Turner. You might know me from Inside Out with Turner and Seth and other podcasts, but uh, this is something I could never do on my own. This diving into the world of Humphreys McGee, I've long been an enthusiast, but we needed a real expert and someone not just armed with knowledge, but armed with a lot of passion for the band. And uh, that is why I'm so, so excited and delighted and proud to introduce Jimmy Rogers, who will heretofore be known as Jimmy Knowledge. Hello, Jimmy, Rob. Say, tell them who you are. I am Jimmy knowledge rogers um i am an expert with air quotes um but the passion is real for the band umphreys mcgee and uh and music in general rob and i are music nuts and and uh yes we are going to be talking about umphreys but this is uh a music show and and how music is the coolest thing in the world and and how it moves us in many ways. And uh, before we explain the show, that I want to point out that Jimmy has a unique distinction of having replaced Brendan Bayless on the tennis team at a high school right, right, right across the street from Notre Dame. You say it used to be before it got bulldozed. Yeah, and and Brendan, nor neither Brendan nor I had anything to do with that. Um, yeah, Brendan, was it, it wasn't an underperforming tennis team. It was not. We okay. we kept winning our sectional titles. Uh, <laughs> I Bre- Brendan quickly swapped out his racket for a guitar at some point in high school, and his tennis days were numbered. I kept my racket and and actually ended up playing for Coach Bayless across the street at, at Notre Dame. Um. And I might add, you got into the ultimate racket. You are working in the law field. The ultimate racket. Still still wielding a racket. Thank you, Rob. Also, before we um, explain the show, I want to say thank you to Sarah J. Uh, dropped among this crowd media. Sarah is the reason this happened. She invited me in. We threw ideas around. I said, boy, I'd love to really work with this Jimmy Rogers. I knew him from Twitter, Nachos for All, at UMFacts. If you, if you want to reach him, by the way, I'm at R-S-T-N-E-R, and the show is the U-M Wow Show, U-M-W-O-W-S-H-O-W. But anyway, Sarah put us together kindly. She provided us with an engineer, Eric Frutchie. God bless you, Eric. 
and um, she's helped out, helped arrange these interviews and just been the driving force and the energy behind this getting off the ground. Why, you, wow Why, Jimmy? Tell Why? us about Humphreys McGee. Well, the wow show, it, it is for all those moments and they are separate for personal for everyone. What, what makes you say, wow, when you're at a show or listening to music. And so we want to, we want to highlight the wows, the wow moments uh, that specifically Humphreys McGee has, has delivered. And, and it's been 24 years running. I think they're coming in on close to 3000 live shows, Rob. That's, that's, that's a lot. And it's really, it, it, it's hard to explain to folks just who aren't familiar what, what Umphreys McGee is about. Cause they, they truly have a melting pot of musical genres that they are capable of, of exploring every night and, and do explore. Um, it's rock and roll at its core, but it's it's got a lot of tentacles in a lot of uh, distinct areas. Progressive rock, jazz fusion, funk, heavy hair metal. What else, Rob? Country. It's got moments of folk. Um, I mean, sometimes sometimes math rock. I guess Wizard Barrow Ground, maybe math rocky a little bit. I'll give you some math rock. <laughs> I'd like a rock of math, please. Uh, I, and I think it's also uh, helpful at, at this orienting stage. Uh, we, we're, we're thrilled for any of you listening and, and curious about where this may go. And for those that may not be familiar with uh, the sound, the music, the catalog of, of Umphreys McGee, uh, I'll, I'll share... At the, at the top here, some of their most heavily uh, artists and songs that they've covered over the years and, and kind of some of their biggest influences uh, are The Beatles, huge, Led Zeppelin. Although unlike Led heads. Zeppelin, they properly credit the bands they're covering. Go on. <laughs> uh, Steely Dan, as, as, we, as they shift into the 70s and 80s, Rush. Uh, Frank Zappa is probably just one of the biggest influences pervasive through their, uh, I think, both their songwriting and their, how they approach, there's a humorous side to them. And, uh, and then jazz legends uh, like Miles Davis, Billy Cobham are, are also extremely influential and, and come out in different ways. And I talked over you when you said Talking Heads. I'll, I'll add Genesis, yes, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. Um, a lot of the prog rock. Prog is a big influence on them. And a lot of bands, less, less known prog rock bands, too. I would even maybe throw Marillion in there. You just did. <laughs> but the goal of this show, initially, it can change over the years. It'll be to celebrate Humphreys McGee. But initially, we're focusing on the songs We'll have a part, a side A and a side B. Side B, we'll explain more later. It's going to be more for the hardcore fans. Side A, we're going to talk about the creation of the song, the lyrics. Um, and, you know, and we, we're going to be interviewing the bands and sharing some of what they had to say. So we'll kind of work 
in and out different topics, in and out of different topics, and um, move through the episodes like that. But for now, there's not really a strict format. It's kind of just, you know, kind of improvisational, like 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 some of the, you know, moments at Humphrey shows. Well, and 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 and, and we'll get into this uh, talking further into into each song's evolution. Um, but one of the things that we'll be highlighting is a very unique, distinct songwriting process that, that the band has adapted. Um, they're fully capable of, of writing songs and, 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 uh, in a quote unquote traditional way. They also have a dozens of songs in their catalog. I mean, 50 plus, um, that came out and were born from the live setting that chunks of, uh, improvisation were so good and came out in a, just a, a crystalline way that they wanted to repackage those and, and Matt put them together with other, other song segments that in time created new songs and it's a to me uh, i'm not familiar with other bands that uh consciously craft songs in this way so i I, it's a we'll be breaking this down in how uh today's song is hurt bird bath we'll be uh analyzing other songs that have been born out of improvisation within bath um and and how that's in itself has has spawned other songs so i I look at this as a uh, a very their songs are are live organic creatures that uh create their own root system and are connected with each other and constantly living and growing and changing and evolving So I guess that brings us to, to the first song, to, to Hurt Bird Bath. Well, I think to set it up, we have to talk about how uh, Jake Sinegar, the, I guess you could say, primary lead guitarist in the band, if you're going to call Brendan Bayless the primary singer, Jake Sinegar would be the primary guitarist, although each does the other. Um, but he joined Umphreys at a point when the band had just moved to Chicago and decided to really get serious, actually having Jake join force them to get serious. We'll get into that. But Hurt Birdbath was the first song. I don't know. First song they wrote or first song they played live after a full year of, of having Jake in the band. Uh, it, it is the first song that they wrote. This is after a full year of, of integrating Jake's immense. Uh, he brought his own catalog to the group, uh, his own, uh, dearth of of materials that he had recorded himself that they uh, pulled from, um, but after a year of of touring, pretty much nonstop. In uh, we're talking September two thousand to October, early October two thousand one is is when Hurt Burbath made its debut live. It was the first song written as the group. Um, and it it reflects a a, a more mature songwriting uh, effort. 
and was two different palettes, although we learned not initially, but it has two areas for um, sectionals, separate improvisation, which is beneficial. And um, not a lot of lyrics, though. No, not a lot of lyrics. There's, uh, I, I guess, to, to do a quick, uh, very non-music uh, theory uh, stab at describing the song. Um, I, I love how in live, it can start with a very uh, odd uh I call it a cacophony of sound that they just kind of, it's a splash of, of kind of free jazz that uh, then gets uh, the drummer drops a, I call it a waterfall of, of uh, drum beats that kicks the song into its, its actual uh, composed sections. They, uh, they go through their verses. There's three verses get sung one time through and then there's a a very melodic chorus that doesn't have any lyrics and we'll then, get to that and then we'll that's, get to that's, that. a, that's a source of my favorite my early favorite wow moment wow show moment but do, can do, can i do the honor can i it's so, so few we might as well read them all would you please <clears throat> thank you Go if you want to, walk where you will. The hallways will always be there. Barely content if your belly is full, shifting and drifting to sleep where you can. Slowly arriving, but never on time. A strain to explain why the strange care. A struggle to stand and afraid if you try, bleeding and pleading to change what you can. Now I have thoughts on some of these, dude. I mean, first and most obviously, the whole go where you want to and the hallways will always be there. I mean, that improvisation comes to mind. And here's a song. I don't know if they knew at the time when they were writing these lyrics that this was going to become one of their improvisational monsters. By the way, as you pointed out before, this is the fourth most performed song in the history of the band. You've pointed out to me before. It's, they've played it probably next year. They'll, they'll hit 500 times that they've played it live. Um, so that is a lot of workouts and a lot of different ways to express uh, the same five minute, six minute live or studio version timestamp. Yeah. And we learn that there is a hot tub inspiration for the title of it. So the whole shifting and drifting, I was in a hot tub the other day and I was shifting and drifting, shifting to get the, the jets on me right and drifting just kind of uh, you know in the hot tub just drifting off you know but i was careful not to sleep and you get you turn into a prune that way rob i know well, i'm old already I, I, I a priori prune double prune a struggle to stand and afraid if you try that can happen after sitting in a hot tub too long and bleeding and pleading to change what you can that makes you think what exactly went on in the hot tub. I just, I love the internal, internal rhyme structure there. Brendan is a, uh, this is where he, he put his English degree to use uh, from, from Notre Dame. Uh, he has a 
a, a, a nice voice that will highlight through these songs um, in, in his lyric uh, expression. Uh, he likes to create, craft different uh, quirky expressions and, and I think he nailed it uh, with, with her bath. It's, it's extraordinarily ambiguous and yet you can pick a lot of, uh, it can resonate for people in different ways. Some other key points, this was written shortly after 9-11. There's a feeling maybe there's an influence on it, a 9-11 influence on this song perhaps? Absolutely. I mean, it, it, it came out a month after and it, it's, you can certainly read those lyrics with that in mind and, and have a, a, a sense of trying to grasp some meaning from life in a different uh, different way with F after such a huge seismic change in the world. Yeah, for some of you who are younger, it was pretty shocking. And the shock went on for months, um, the events of 9-11. And um, artists are particularly sensitive. So something that shocks uh, and moves the rank and file human like uh, myself or Jimmy, I mean, I think artists are even more so impacted. Uh, Herper Bath is also a rare, uh, in, in the sense that Michael Miro, the band's original drummer, founding member, gets a songwriting credit on this song. And it is only one of, uh, I think three, maybe, there might be a couple other songs that, well, I can think of Last Call is a song that Miro wrote himself, wrote the lyrics to, and Brendan helped uh, write the rest of the song with Mike. But uh, other songs that Mike got a songwriting credit for, uh, Kimball, which is on their uh, first album, Greatest Hits Volume 3, Headphones and Snow Cones, which was also on the uh, local band Does Okay, which Herper Bath appeared on. Uh, that came out in 2002 and happened to be the biggest selling album at the original Bonnaroo. Second Bonnaroo. Oh, it was the second Bonnaroo, but it was the best selling record on site. Yes. Umphreys, uh, in fact, while we're on Bonnaroo. Yeah, the Huge, apoc yeah. Ap apocryphal story is that they were the the very first band to play at the very first Bonnaroo in 2001. They got a afternoon set on whatever Thursday, Friday afternoon, as people were streaming in. So they get that early distinction as a band in their third year of of existence, and then the next year they come back and and continue to dazzle and it's it's been ongoing since then we've had a lot of great moments at Bonnaroo but we'll have more on Herc Birdbath in just a minute what we're going to do we're going to throw a little snippet of the debut version and we're going to hear Brendan and Stasek talk about their early days in Chicago and 
uh, Brendan and uh, Jake's early days writing together and what was going on with the band at the time. No, he when he moved to Chicago, he basically after living at the band house for a while, he moved across the street from me. So we were we were basically uh, for a couple of years really bouncing ideas around and would have you know half of a song or a riff that he would play at rehearsal, and I'd be like, wait, what's that? Show me that, and then I would take it home, and then I or you know vice versa, and. I remember Heard Birdbath was kind of pieced together with a lot of people. Um, even Miro at the end came up with the, there's like a, a, a five, it's five or something at the end where it goes minor to major. And that was like Miro's little riff. Like, so we were all kind of sticking stuff together. Um, uh, but Heard Birdbath, uh, like Jake had the chord progression and I you know, went home and tried to put vocals over it. Um, so that, I, that was a largely pieced together. Like there was, when Jake joined, he had a bunch of stuff from Alibaba's. He had a bunch of CDs of songs that he was working on. And at one point I took like four or five albums of his songs and was listening. I was like pulling things that I thought would stick with other parts that I had. Where it was never an ego issue, was never a, a control issue, was never a uh, stepping on each other's toes. I think they were always very respectable, uh, respectable as adults and musicians being like, hey, you take this one, uh, this one will be me, you play lead here. What works for the song? What works for my tones? And we'd grow, and that, that definitely matured and grew as well. Like what part, I'm singing a part here, it's kind of tough for me to 
be doing the uh, the more angular stuff. Maybe I'll do more, you know, more of the rhythmic and you say, and so, so there's that balance and everything has, all, has always been there. And I don't remember anything kind of before that. I couldn't tell you, like uh, even as a four piece, even Brendan and, and us as a power trio, it, it, it just is what it was, you know? There was just a bass and a guitar. And then the two guitar tack was just like, all right, here we go. This is it. This twin lead. This is this is this is the sound. Okay, so let's uh, do a little prequel. You got to remember, we're we're a bunch of goofballs, uh, broke as hell, um, playing for beer money. We're writing songs called "Pick Your Nose." You know, we're just you know, there's not a lot of um, it's 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 juvenile. It's fun. All of a sudden, you call in. Um, you know, we just signed Kershaw. He's our, our starting pitcher. You know, Jay comes in. It's a little more intimidating when the rest of the team looks around and goes, all right, maybe we shouldn't be writing songs about scratch my balls and pick my nose. It's more like the Bucks people. getting Brady, Brian. Come yeah. on. Yeah, sure, sure. I'll allow it. Um, you know, so I think the maturity level and the seriousness of of Jake is, is the real deal. Um, we have graduated from college, and we have all taken the next step of saying, we're going to do this for real. We're going to give it a shot. We moved to Chicago in a place that we couldn't afford to live. No one had a real job. So it was time to be serious. Still fun, but be serious. And the technical prowess of, of Jake and, and, and Brendan and what we were listening to, um, there was a heavy influence of early prog rock, of, of Yes, of Gentle Giant, of Rush, of, um, you know, the metal stuff was always there too, but the Jocko weather report, there was that, well, you know, return to forever. There was, there was a lot of that stuff going on. And Ryan Felix Stasek makes his debut on the Umphrey's Wow Show with some very insightful and honest commentary. Jake Seneger moving to Chicago and committing himself to the band and bringing his wealth of creativity and talent was what part of what forced Humphreys to get more and more serious about their craft and about focusing and, and bringing their most, uh, you know, well thought out songs to the forefront. I mean, her, her birdbath is definitely a huge step uh, in the band's maturity. You could tell the the compositional uh, form of it came out pr pretty pretty well formed. The as it starts taking off uh, in the live setting, uh, it really only got to play a dozen times before it the, the band brings it into the studio to record in November, early November. 2001 for their first uh what they refer to as their official studio album their 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 very first album again greatest hits volume three was put together just so that they could send a an album to different clubs around town and get gigs but it was not recorded with much uh professional acumen uh local band the title, the title did show off their rye wit jimmy it did and and uh 
we will we will explore that in due time. Yes, um, all in time, all in time, all in time. Uh, but local band does okay is is their first uh, real statement as a, as a band what they are capable of doing, and uh, it, it, Herper Beth did not get much uh, workout uh, compared to some of its album mates, which had been in the live setting for a couple of years, uh, before going into the studio. So it, it was still getting its sea legs and, and learning who, who it was as a, as a song. Um, so how did it, the studio recording of it impact the execution of the song live in your estimation? I think it set a, 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 a good template. Uh, the early, six months or so of, of the song really focused um there's a, a middle part there, there's the composed sections and then the middle part is supposed to be more open and and uh improv based though the first i'll call it six months or so uh, was very mono thematic uh it it kind of hit a a high uh it was a focus on Joel's keyboard, uh, but the guitars kind of stayed in their lane and, and supported Joel as they built up to a, a crescendo and then didn't vary much in that uh, vein. It took until the summer of, of 2002 before they started realizing the potential of, of the song and making that middle section um, kind of bookending the improv section to be in the middle of, of uh, expanding the middle section, let's say. And I have a pet name. Yes, Rob as I've read, and let's, put, let's give out your Twitter name again. This is one of the many, many wonderful chestnuts I've gotten from Jimmy over the years, thanks to his Twitter account, umfax, at umfax nachos for all but you've always had a name for the specific that part it is a feel-good section and uh lifting if you have experienced it in the live setting you your body has moved whether you wanted to noticed it or not your body has responded i call it the jubilee because that's the name that makes sense I'll yeah. meet you at the Jubilee. Wherever we can make a dead reference, it is welcome every time. But, um, well, we'll get into it. We'll let Jimmy ask Brendan about it. You can learn about it uh, via this nice clip we're about to play for you. But in the meantime, uh, and we get another little, another Ryan Stacey coming too, but, well, actually, before we play this clip, um, Ryan talks about the hits. Talk about the hits and the audience reaction and so forth. I'd say this is this is a a second development of of uh, the the band or the the song growing in in the live setting. Y you never know what's going to happen once the audience starts uh, feeding off of a song's energy and. Uh, so the the jubilee section has its build up and then it 
it has to transition into something. And on the on the studio version, there was no, uh, I'd say, transition point until they moved to the the end coda of the song. But in the live setting, the band uh, kind of responded to the audience in in a organic way, and uh, Miro was the drummer at the time. He laid down some some heavy hits that within uh, within a couple years, uh, I'd say early Chris Myers, the, the second drummer uh, and current drummer of, of the band, um, audience jumped on the, this hits uh, and filled in a very audible woo um, in response. And uh, for those in the, in the, jam band uh, scene who, who uh, go to a lot of shows, you might be familiar with uh, or might have an opinion about woos and, and crowds saying woo when there's a silence or a break in, in the music. And uh, Fish is not the uh, originator of woos. Uh, who knows where woos came from? Rob, do you know where woos came from? I don't, but I do think Funkadelic had some woo moments. I'm sure I'm kind of think who else. Has, has made some woos in his lifetime. Doo-wop, maybe a little doo-wop call and response kind of thing. Mm. Um, so the, the woos section kind of comes right after uh, the Jubilee section, and, and some nights it is more pronounced than others. Sometimes the band doesn't leave... A, uh, a a space uh, to be filled in, and they move quickly into a, a different uh, improvisational section. But there are many early versions that the woos really announce themselves. Yeah, offer a, an attempt. It's something like something like that. Is that close? I, I I think that's it, actually. Just a couple decibels missing, but yes. I could do acapella Humphreys solo. Give me, give me another couple of years, I might. All right, but this clip, the musical clip, is uh, focusing on the Jubilee section itself, but then an example of how they break away from it as well and find their own improv within just a deconstruction of that. And, and we'll tease other songs. We'll let you find out figure out the one that they do. And then we'll hear from Brennan and Ryan and then we'll be right back with you. Don't worry, we're not going anywhere. Soon. I love that name. The middle portion that's, I don't know how you describe it. The, the, now it has two sections, but on the album version, it was just the one. Oh, yeah. We got three in Atlanta once. <laughs> um, that, you know, honestly, that came from my memory of that was just like 
we didn't really write that part. It was just kind of like a, a jam. And then he and I hooked up on that harmony and it became the part. Okay. It's not, like, some, it's weird. Some of that, some of the guitar stuff we do harmonize a lot as like, just came from playing, like the end of Miss Tinkles, the doodle doodle like all that stuff is just, you know, and even the end of Bridge Lists, the doodle doodle that, it's all. But we would. We call the Scooby Doo section. Yeah, but we would. I mean, we were driving in a van so often that we would listen to every show the next day. So every every day, we would listen to the back and at least try and find you know, something to, to use and keep. But the Jubilee, I think, <laughs> I know what you're talking about. <laughs> um, that was kind of just like a mistake, not a mistake, it was just a happy accident from, from an improv. Um, and I haven't listened to the album version, so there, it only happens once. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I guess live, we just were like, well, let's do it again. <laughs> What's well, a nice palate yeah. cleanser between improv? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we're a jam band. Your prog rock band. Thank you. There was a time where the song wasn't working for us because both it had have two breakdowns and both jams were way too similar. And we thought we were going through a, uh, sometimes jam bands have this problem. Here's jam A and it's in G and it does this and it peaks and we drop off and there's hits. Well, here's jam B. It's the same damn thing. And yes. it goes up and it was like, woo, they did it again. So Yay. true. And so now true. it's another, now it's another, uh, and I, I, I feel like I'm fucking, I'll be punk rock tough. I, that's, that to us wasn't fucking work. It seemed too easy and redundant. And we got mad at ourselves being like, listen, we got to do something a little different here. So then it came to that breakdown, the, uh, the hits. They were like, does this mean we should all, for a while we were trying Let's go flat five. Let's always go Black Sabbath. Let's go dark. This part should be evil after the more uh, fun funk kind of uh, tribal buildup. And then we were like, okay, well, we do that too much. Maybe we should just do it once. Maybe the second part could be completely open. Maybe we don't know what's going to happen at all. We just change. So that's all part of the evolution of Birdbath growing. Um, and it still changes. There's times when we get to that. If, sometimes that first, say, say jam A is huge and it's awesome. And we land and we do the hits. Jam B, I might lay out, not play anything. Just see see where it goes, see what happens, and completely everybody just kind of. So you know that I think that part of the evolution is uh, is even changing now, because when we get to that second section, we as as um, God, this is a perfect time for a Ben Roethlisberger uh, metaphor. As professionals, we know that after we've run our routes, if the quarterback's having pressure and he's back in the day able to extend the play and get out there we know as wide receivers to keep running routes and get open and then come up with an improvised play that's going to score a touchdown so like we're much more comfortable with the old big ben um, of extending things and not not taking a sack and not getting worried about uh um, having a having a loss or something being thrown in the towel you know we're talking about oh this just turned into an 86 yard deep route that came out of nowhere. So that, that that part, being open and willing to do that is great. And I think that's the best part of the uncomfortableness of, of a jam starting of just like, start with nothing. See who wants to who wants to start the play and see where it goes. That right. way, when the six of us go and we go, well, this is where it is and this is where it's gonna be, you kind of get stuck in that path. So, so it's still evolving to this day. But I know for a fact, back in the day, there were two sections 
and we got mad at ourselves for doing a build b build right. and doing we're like we're like man we just wasted 10 minutes of the set where something unique and cool could have happened and we just repeated the same thing twice maybe people liked it i don't know but as a band we did not we were disappointed in ourselves we, we went back to the game tape said we could do better Do you create really rad fan art? Is your band wanting to get into the ears of umfreaks? Maybe your small business provides an awesome service and you'd like some like-minded clients to work with. Are you looking to hire some music-loving folks for your team? Perhaps you've had an idea for an umfreaks-themed podcast or something else that you just know this community would love, but you weren't sure where to start. Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company wants to help. With space available for your Umphreys-related show idea, social media promotion of your band, ad spots across the network, and so much more, Dropped Among This Crowd Media Company can help you be seen, heard, and reach tons of fellow Umphreaks, musicians, and other kind folks. Want to know more or have questions? Shoot an email to sarah at datcmediacompany.com. Oh, early favorite WOW show in-house moment, Brendan Bayless, acknowledging and perhaps adopting the jubilee term that I've heard you use for quite some time. What a great, well, that must have made you feel good. We'll see if he ever refers to that in a uh non-wow show interview then then we'll know we've we've influenced the band like an on-stage reference would be nice guys i'm sure they'll be listening to this i'm not holding my breath but feel free to use it it is it's your ip anyway uh ryan mentions a certain football he references a certain football team from pittsburgh they're called the steelers they stole their colors from the Boston Bruins, but they're a quite great uh, football franchise that has maintained their competitiveness mainly through the draft, which is unusual in sports today. And they have extremely loyal fans, some of whom are in prog rock jam bands. And uh, that's what that was all about. Should I go on about the Steelers anymore? They used to win Super Bowls and stuff. Uh, they had a good run. I, I, I think it's, it's helpful to point out in this moment that the band uh, – they are very sports minded oriented. And, and I think they, uh, it, it, that's helpful for context in a few ways. They view themselves as a band, as they are teammates of each other. And they know that the best way to put on an amazing rock show is to be the best teammate that they can that night. Good teammate needs to, uh, I'll just blend sports here. You got to set picks. You got to, you got to, uh, do your blocking. You got to, uh, move into open ice or open field. Uh, you gotta, you gotta do a lot of things that you don't notice in the, in the stat column. And, and when it works right, the whole is much greater than the sum of its parts. Amen. And improvisation is a key part of that. And hurt bird math has over the years become it's one of the reasons we look for not just that it's a great song but it's one of those old songs that we're looking to hear if we're going to a three-night run we'd really like to hear it it's because it's got two distinct sections that can go anywhere 
it is, uh, you're getting a chunk of 12 minutes at minimum uh, in, the, in the heyday of the song, which I would, I would say kind of 2002 to 07 or so, um, which, which is not to say that the song still doesn't deliver and, and have very high moments um, but in those heydays, in a second glory era, but it, it was Today. typically hitting 20 minute plus versions on one glorious Parisian night. It hit 30 minutes. Um, and, and we'll get to that. But these days there's some versions that maybe aren't as long, but have some really aggressive, energetic. I mean, even the one that just happened, yeah. where was it? They just opened the second set with it recently. It was a badass right out of the gate. Second set. In Asheville last weekend. Beautiful. I heard that on Nugs. Great version. Um, that I'd say that's another way that the song shows its evolution in that it it uh, condenses very uh, intriguing and and complex improv into just a, a smaller uh, timestamp, but it. It, it delivers the same amount of feeling. And you have pointed out it, that it can be exemplary of the Miles Davis influence. I guess I, I look at the Jubilee specifically as a, um, that was one of the first influences that I heard was um, Miles's. it's about that time. And, how that the same uh, just kind of epiphanal peak uh, moment that you're 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 crescendoing up and and the whole room just gets on the same lambda and it 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 becomes uh, ecstasy. I I'll I'll I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> Well, before we move on to the next clips, we have to point out a key part of Humphrey's history for all of you. And those of you who have seen Jefferson Waffle's Real to Real uh, bio documentary, I don't know what you want to call it, but it was released a few years ago. You can purchase it on, at Humphreys.com to this day. Really cool summary of the band's history that they use at a, where they use it? At a New Year's show? Actually, I think they put it on, on an event all of its own, didn't they? I think it was a off day for a four night run in, uh, in one of the New Year's runs. It was a a watch party on an on an off night. One of the key things is that Mike Miro choosing to leave the band um, around when he announced he mentioned to the band late in two thousand two was really really devastating to the band at the time and almost took the band down. And that is a key thing to know going into this because when they picked up the pieces and got their legs again and started looking for a new drummer and then they find a drummer, um, they come up with this idea to pass the torch, as it were, in a very, very unique way on New Year's uh, oh, 2002 going into 2003. Jimmy, tell them. Yeah, there aren't many songs that get to uh, kind of have the distinction, the 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 badge of honor of of truly being a, a, a torchbearer 
And Chris Myers, when they're, as Chris is learning, ramping up his uh, knowledge of the band's catalog at the time, over over 50 songs he had to learn in a very short amount of time. And there is not much room for error when five of the six guys on stage know what they're doing and the drummer's got to hold it all together. Um, and Chris, of all songs that he could have chosen, he picks Hurt Bird Bath, which is definitely not an easy uh, song to, uh, to, A, learn how to play, B, be the first song that you introduce yourself to uh, a live crowd on New Year's Eve. Chris Myers is balls, is what we're saying. He has major league adult male testicles. I will agree with that, but try not to create more of a uh, graphic image uh, of that. So, uh, yes. <laughs> We're about to hear the debut version, but before we do, um, it's interesting how, first of all, Mike Miro still stayed with the band. He would travel with them. I, I actually, the one time I met him was at Bonnaroo. He sat in with them. Um, one of the times he sat in was just under a year later, and uh, it was kind of a goof. Right. It was, uh, I was in the building at the Vic theater in Chicago and it was, uh, it was the new year's run. So it was first new year's run with Chris behind the kit and they finished a song and Chris gets into a, a, a fight with the band and, and he storms off the stage and Brendan kind of looks out into the crowd and says, well, does anybody here know how to play the drums? And lo and behold, Michael Miro is in the audience that night and he jumps up on stage. And of course they play Herper Bath. So take us to the room. What was the reaction? And to what extent were people confused? And to what extent did people get the joke? Uh, I mean- Or seemed to anyway. It, I, I, from what I recall, they couldn't hide it that well because they're just kind of laughing along with the uh the setup um I, I i think everybody was thrilled to see mike come on stage and and to play bath was uh, a very welcome moment um i'm sure there were a few people that maybe more due to uh uh some other influence uh were very confused by the drummer change, but uh, I think it also reflected just the fact that they are uh, very humorous and don't take themselves seriously and also want to, uh, they, they, they view their band as a family and Mike Miro remained a member of the family. And so it made sense to uh, kind of reprise the, uh, the torch and, and show where, where they, how much they grew in a year, but they're still the same, same group. And it was, it was wonderful. And in the spirit of Humphreys McGee, in the spirit of Hurt Birdbath, in the spirit of the great quarterbacks, I'm going to call an audible. We were going to throw it into the debut Hurt Birdbath, but, but Jimmy, let's change that. Let's, let's go to that night when 12.30.03, when Mike returned and let's hear how that went. Super. Ready? Oh, 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 oh. 
forget it. I've had it. I've had it with you since the beginning of this day. I've had it with you, Joel. I'm done with you. And you know what? This guy didn't even tell me I was supposed to bring my jersey. So that's it. I'm done. You know what? How? I quit. <laughs> What the hell is that all about? Way to go, Joel. Jerk. Good job, Joel. Does anybody, does anybody play drums? Is that it? I guess the show's over, huh? Unless we have a drummer. Do we have a drummer in the house? Way to go, cum dog. Way to go, cum dog. Is there a drummer in the house? Hey, hey, wait. Who's that over there? Is that a drummer? Hey. Come on here. All right, this guy says he can play drums. Honestly, Chris picked it. It was um, when we were like going through um, the introductory process. It was just like, here's a list of I don't know how many songs, however many you can learn, and however quickly you can learn it. And her birdbath was one of his favorites in the whole pile. And so he was he was gung ho. He's like, I I feel like I know that one. And we we thought that well, if we're gonna show everybody that we're here and not dropping and going like that's we're not going up there and playing three chords and four four time and you know hopefully it'll work. It, i thought it was kind of uh ambitious <laughs> which um you know worked out i guess ah uh, yes i'd have to agree with brendan right there yes it did work out quite well it worked out chris Consensus. myers to this day, propels the band repeatedly, all the time. He's a key part of the muscle of this band, but also the nuance. He's such a brilliant drummer, and a lot of Hurt Birdbath improv has been keyed on his playing, and um, 
he's just a vital part of the band. Thank you, Chris, for, for coming into this world, sincerely. I mean, it, it, who knows what would have happened with Mike not leaving the band. We don't have a world where that happened that we can experience. But when Chris started, the song took off. And there, summer of 03, 2004, 2005, Bath was probably the most satisfying song to hear live it 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 just rocked every time to come out on the first night you know Meyer's first song you know to have the guts to do that is is very indicative of him but also the band you know with an onward and upward spirit look you know this is this is uh unfortunate that this change hasn't been made but it's not going to slow us down we're going to continue pushing ourselves and trying to improve ourselves for you the, the listener uh, as we go along I think they found out more about themselves as a band by exploring within Bath and a few other songs that that we'll get to in this uh, in this project. But Bath is 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 singular in, in being a uh, a song that they dedicated exploration and through their improv. And in a more general sense, one thing we learned on Inside Out with Turner and Seth, if you guys have ever heard that show, I think the Brennan episode and the Myers episode, and perhaps a little on one of the Jake episodes, they're very forthcoming about how Chris came in and suggested tweakings here or, um, you know, sharpening there, or, you know, you're, you're doing this in this mode when maybe you should be in that mode. There's a lot of subtle things that I'm sure you careful listeners, uh, Umphrey's completionists are familiar with, but we'd like to make more clear with the show. So, you know, some of the very tangible uh, impact that uh, Chris had on the band's arrangements and performance. I mean, that reflects on the level of professionalism that they, uh, the band has treated themselves with. And, and still to this day, uh, they're not, going through any motions they are not happy with themselves when there's a sloppy show there are not many sloppy shows but they're also they know when it doesn't come out well they're gonna do the work to uh fix that and they're more interested in improving their prod their product for their listeners and show attendees than they are in massaging any of their single egos as well. And that's a key thing, especially as the years go by, probably is one of the key things that keeps it fresh to them as well, I would think. They care. They care and they're not, no, no single members is hung up on themselves, no matter how virtuosic or how, how many women chase them or how much merch they have for sale. Um, how <laughs> but, many men chase them just to talk music. I mean, let's be real. Their percussionist is probably the sexiest man in all of music, and you never know it. He's just very down to earth and just does his job, does his job back there in colors. That's that's cool. That's down to earth. <sighs> I am lustful of of Andy Farrig's curls. Yes, smoking, smoking, smoking hot. But we'll get into that in another episode, perhaps. Um, a lustful Farrick episode a couple of years down the line. We'll see. We'll see how many listeners we get. Um, but one of the one of the many things I love about you, Jimmy, knowledge is your spreadsheets. Spreadsheets. That, that boy, that is using a sexy word there, Rob. Mm. Spreadsheets. Mm. 
Well, you only spread them when they're willing, and you have this thing called the rotation all stars. That is just one of the spreadsheets. Um, but yes, the rotation all stars. I was just curious to know, to try and understand what makes this band tick. Uh, one way to contextualize it is what are the songs that they play the most every year? Since they play these days, it's just under a hundred shows a year in the heyday. It was pushing 150. Um, but they, really get that never... high. I would have guessed 120, 130. I didn't realize they got up to 150 a couple of those years. Rob, would you like me to pull out another spreadsheet to, to tell you that? Dude, I told you I love your spreadsheets. Well, of course. No, they they pushed 150 a uh, couple years and squarely in the 120s, 130s for a while, and and until they got family members, the kids, uh, they shifted it to 100 and now just a tick under 100. I mean, it might not impress BB King, but it impresses me. Um. So every year, I take a look at the. 10 most played songs in a given year. And those get my uh, distinction as a rotation all-star. Not every song is in rotation every year. Some get benched. Some have been retired. Nachos for all. <clears throat> um, no. Sorry. I know. Something in my throat. Don't, don't get started. <clears throat> don't get started. Um, Focus on 10th grade. But there are but I songs that are played uh, every year that those that get that mm, the, the, the little do they know that they are craving the rotation all-star moniker that comes with being one of the top 10 songs each year. Um, and maybe they would do more to vie for stage time. Um, for Hurt Better Bath's uh, own history, it's never dropped out of the rotation. It still is, is a well-played song every year, but it is for a song that's been played almost, I think it's over 450 times. It has only been in the top 10 of uh, songs in a given year on five occasions. Which puts me in mind of Hank Aaron. You know, he hit up 715 homers, but did you know he never hit 50 in one season? I did know that, Rob. Consistency. Thank you. Consistency. Consistency. The hammer. He was in the 40s most of the time. Another interesting point is that the early heyday, which you cite as 03 to 07, only 03 is one of those years. Yeah. Um, and then it, it uh, other newer songs, newer albums, they like to play those, highlight new songs in, in uh, the year they come out. But Herper Beth came back on the on the radar of the the All Star nod in 2010, and then again in 2016, and then in the blip pandemic year 2020, it, which was nice because we were getting few Humphrey shows, so we more wanted Birdbath on any given night. So 02, 03, 10, 16, 20, the second right. glory era again. I would say 16, 8, 17, 18, 19. Only one of those years. It's one of the top ten. Interesting, interesting parallel there. These are these are facts about the band we know as Bath. These are um facts. Song. These are um facts. 
Uh, a couple more um facts. Umphreys, you may or may not know, since 2010, they have released a, uh, a, a, a vinyl album that also comes out on Spotify and download uh, a Hall of Fame compilation of that is fan voted and band approved uh pretty much the best offerings in the live from the live shows in a given year voted on by the fans and then is it a raw vote or is there i I remember mickle used to have something to do a john mcclennan i don't know if he would choose the finally but he he I, i seem to remember he used to be involved in the hall of fame selection well we might have to talk to john and go to the source I would, but if he comes on, don't let us start babbling about the slip when we're trying to when we're supposed to be talking about Humphreys McGee. Um, he's so a huge hurt, slip fan. Hurt, huge slip fan. Oh. <laughs> I would like to get him going just to get his take. Then hurt occasional band. Uh, so so Bath has had the distinction of two uh, so far. Hall of Fame albums, 2014, uh, a particular version from October 29th, 2014, which was a heat-seeking missile. And then New Year's Run 2016, it got a Hall of Fame nod, and that was a special version as well. Also, I'd like to point out that um, getting back to the podcast, we're going to have side B episodes for each song, and we'll talk about versions like these Hall of Fame versions and some of your personal Hall of Fames. We're going to create metal rounds. We're going to have a different uh, Umphreys enthusiast each week. Come on, give us their three favorite shows. We'll give each of our three favorite, not shows, versions. And then you, the Um Wow listener, will vote and we will come up with our Um Wow metal versions, metal with a D, M-E-D-A-L, uh, of each song that we uh, cover uh, with episodes. We implore you, help us hand out some medals. We want your voice. We want you to uh, join in on this. We do have an email. Um, it's umwowshow at gmail. And you can also reach us, umwowshow, uh, Twitter. And again, U-M-F-A-C-T, at U-M-F-A-C-T-S, umfacts. That's Jimmy Knowledge. Not just for all. Check that out. I'm R-S-T-N-E-R. R-S-T-N-E-R on Twitter. Moving along. Uh, there is, a, of course, a major jazz influence in Humphrey's music. But uh, I remember years ago being really shocked and impressed that Josh Redman was going to be playing with them. And um, Josh not only is a great player, but his father was one of the patriarchs of free jazz. Played a lot with Ornette Coleman. And Keith Jarrett, probably Keith Jarrett at his most free were stuff he did with Dewey Redmond. Sadly, I never got to see Dewey, but um, I did get to see Joshua Redmond once. I mean, I've seen him a bunch, but I saw him on his first tour. He had Pat Metheny in his band, and I had just moved to South Carolina from Boston. And I've been listening to Pat Metheny as long as I've been listening to any of these guys. And he was in his band. And a friend of mine had a connection at Charles River, that Charles River Ballroom uh, in Cambridge and Harvard Square, really makeshift jazz venue that used to get everybody i saw some crazy shit in there in boston uh when i lived there and 
didn't really get to go back there much after I uh, moved. But one of the things I did was my friend got us front table for two shows, Josh and with Pat Matheny in the band. And I remember driving overnight to get there because I just started school in South Carolina and it was crazy, but it was worth it. Amazing, amazing shows. Josh was young, but he was hanging with Pat Matheny and the rest of the band quite well. Um, he is these days, he's about to tour with Brad Meldow, Christian McBride and Brian Blade next month, which would be April 20, 2022. Uh, for those of you listening in the future, it probably might have already happened. Sorry. But um, when, when me, was, when was your, you, well, when, when did you see Redmond and Matheny play? When, when was that for reference? I think 91, maybe 92. All right. And I don't know if Pat did a whole tour of them. I think he just did a few dates up north just to help him get his name out there. You know, he's Dewey's son and just a great player. And Pat Matheny's often reached out to young players. As a matter of fact, I just saw him do two shows at the Variety Playhouse recently. And he's his whole ethos now is shining a light on young players. He had a, a great young keyboardist and drummer. Keyboardist had like two or three thoughts going on at one time. And again, Pat Matheny, shining a light on young players. God bless him. And of course, Humphreys has covered uh, Last Train Home. Any other Pat Matheny covers? I don't Any think so. Others. I doubt it. The um factor on the spot, and I am not prepared for that one. They should do American Garage. They could crush American Garage. But again, I digress. Dialing it back in. Jimmy, uh, roughly how many times has Josh played with them, and what are some of your favorite Josh sit-ins? Uh, the first time that Josh Rebin joined Umphreys was uh, a little more than a decade after you saw him. Uh, there was a four night East coast run in 2004, February of 04, four magical nights. And Herbert bath nice. was one of the first songs that they played with him. Um, he has since I think across seven different years, he has played 21 different shows. Um, and we're most recently was 2017. There was a four night run where Jake was actually sick. So Josh was uh, filling in a lot more sonically than he typically does. Um, that was a unique uh, run. Uh, four night fair, run. He, he wasn't, he wasn't scheduled in advance. It was a, he was in that case stepping up because Jake was sick. No, he, he sorry. Uh, he was planned to do the run with them, but Jake being sick was the unplanned portion. So okay. Um, okay. J- Jake and Joshua are typically playing off of each other in a very spirited, connected way. And uh, they didn't get that those four nights, but they made a lot of other uh, magic that that run including the second the the year prior 2016 they did an all improv set and then 2017 they did a second all improv set though without jake and they haven't played together since odd who do we need to talk to lock and music festival theme set with josh redmond Mm. throw pat Matheny in there too whatever jeff team wants (laughs) <laughs> um, but we're, we're talking about Josh Redman and Humphreys because to my ears, the Herper Beth that they first played together, February 19th, 2004, I could listen to this 
version every multiple times a day every day it is it's just intoxicating and it is one of the most unique and original herper baths because it does not have a jubilee section how about that josh redmond is a jubilee all in and of himself perhaps that's that that's a good way to to view his his career and and who he is in in the music world a jubilee here's a little slice here's a little slice of that version and brendan some thoughts brendan has on josh redmond Well, it's weird with somebody like Redman, he shows up and has a cold memorized. So he doesn't show up and, and ask questions about a section or how are you counting this or what key or what, you know, he already knows it before we even have even talked about it. So basically all it is, is let's run it through and he'll kind of figure out who's watching for what count. And then this is open, that's open. And then apparently it's a Jubilee and that so that's it for something like that we don't there's we'd probably talk for 15 seconds and just run it once and every time we would get to the open part like this is open and then head means jubilee and then he would know it cold there he goes using the jubilee term again gotta love it jimmy loving it so you Josh Redmond fans, check out our Dirt Bluten Cot episode. That is one of the upcoming episodes. Uh, we're going to do this with, um, with a bunch of songs. Uh, Wappy Sprayberry, pronounced correctly. You'll learn how, why. Uh, two by Two and Dirt Bluten Cot. What am I missing? Oh, um, August. August. Those will be our, yes, those will be our first I mean, five. But, you know, other songs have come up in these interviews already. FF, Sociable Jimmy. We've got a bunch of stuff on tap, a bunch of stuff coming. Keep, you know, writing in. Give us your criticism. If you're clever, we might put it on the air, you know. Give us, you know, if you want to give us praise, that's good. But criticism is more helpful, really. Um, email us at umwowshow at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at umwowshow, U-M-W-O-W show. Umfax, at umfax. That's not just for all. That's Jimmy and I am R-S-T-N-E-R on Twitter. Please be in touch. Please be part of this. We want as many Umfreak voices involved in this as possible. 
Uh, we want this to be of and for the community surrounding this wonderful and amazing band. And if this is still your, if you've gotten to the end of this, thank you. Yes. And if this is still your uh, getting to know Umphrey's phase, I am going to recommend the side B coming up here because the proof is in the pudding. Umphrey's has made their name and their place in rock and roll. They've carved their niche based on what they can do, how they wield their improv. And that's what side B is going to dive into. It's all over the place. We're going to touch on all eras. You know, there's, there's great versions of these songs right up until this day. That's one of the many reasons why I continue to see them as much as I can or watch the webcasts or listen on lugs.net. Um, they keep it compelling. They keep bringing the energy and the uniqueness and the different versions. And uh, we are going to continue to explore that with you and for you. But Very uh, when, excited. when we do these interviews, we, we try to pull stuff from the band. It, it can be hard. Their memories aren't always there. You know, they have families, they have other things going on. They don't view all of this the way we, the listeners and um freaks do. But um, every once in a while, they remember something or something about Paris. We'll uh, find out in side B. Um, but here, Jimmy, he talks about some of the things that come out of hurt bird bath. And there's something funny here too, isn't there? I, I am grateful that a, they are engaging us in a very honest and genuine way. And, and B, they know what they've done better than anybody else. And whatever we can uh, pull out of them, jog their memory of, uh, I think is, is, is something to uh, take away as, as, as a fan and as a, as a music connoisseur. And what I find funny is Brendan hesitantly digs into his memories and the first lego that he acknowledges is one that jimmy has not yet found and we're going to poke around and try to find it i've got my magnifying glass i continue to search and i will find it so we'll throw to brendan we'll have a little music for you and we'll see you for episode two which will be side b about hurt birdmouth and please stay with us we got more song analysis coming and keep with the dropped among this crowd network I'm also thinking about a couple other podcasts that I may do, Sarah willing, Sarah allowing. But uh, thank you, Sarah J. God bless you. And here's Brendan offering some memories and then a little more music for you. Be kind, be well, people. I have memories of things that have come from it. Um, and I think one, I think one of the riffs from... Uh, domino theory came from uh, one hurt birdbath like very 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 many many years ago um, and occasionally when someone will start playing that riff when we're doing an improv and it's like it's so easy to just jump on that and ride it out but then it's also like closing the door on an open improv